Today's episode of Setting the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Welcome to episode 73 of the Setting the Edge podcast. I'm Justice Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm here with my co-host Charles McDonald. You can find him on Twitter at Forberts. And we're here with our very special guest, Matt Harmon from the NFL Network. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore B-Y-B. Say what's up to the people, Matt. Oh, what's up, people? Uh, thanks, guys, for having me on. It's uh, <laughs> This is this is going to be a fun conversation, I think. All right. Okay. When are you- are they not like forcing you to get an uh, NFL handle? You can just keep the BYB. I mean, no, no. Like, so I actually talked about this with one of our like head of social media people. Like, after I got verified, I was like, "Hey, you know, can I change my Twitter handle to like? Well, can you guys do something to get like the at Matt Harmon handle? Because there's somebody that has at Matt Harmon, but they haven't tweeted like a native tweet in you know like three, four years." Uh, but then, like, the guy looked at it, and he's like, oh, he retweeted something in, like, 2017 or, t- like, late 2016. So because of that, like, the account will be deemed too active. We can't get you that handle. And I was like, well, what? Like, that sucks. Uh, and But now if I change the handle, I can't – I'll lose the blue check, and I can't lose the blue check. That's my only, like, identity at this point. So it's kind of like I got, like, my ex's name tattooed on my – on myself and like now. Oh, oh. Oof, Matt, basically. I have a story. I have a story. <laughs> Charles has heard me talk talk about this story. Not me. Okay. Uh, what do you mean? Not there, you? there is. It wasn't. I, I didn't get the tattoo on me. Okay. She got the tattoo on her. Oh. And while I was telling her not to, and her father was telling her not to. I have I have an ex girlfriend who's walking around with my moon sign on her arm. And doesn't that is yeah. that that feels like a lot of pressure? Dude, that's why like i'm not joking you when i was saying that her, her father and i at the same time were like this is a very dumb idea you shouldn't be doing this i don't understand the mindset of the person who gets the gets the tattoo of a person who's telling them like not to do this like wouldn't you think that's a sign i don't know that's a that is a confusing decision i'm so i'm sorry the relationship didn't work out <laughs> love is a disease i'm not i'm not so sorry i'm pretty happy right now so <laughs> All right, uh, football. Far, yeah football so uh speaking of love uh, let's talk about some of the receiving prospects that Matt loves because I know you've done a lot of stuff with uh, your reception per or I'll say I'll just say reception per reception charting, but that's not right. Reception perception <laughs> charting. Uh, so, who are some of the guys that you like uh, just in general? Day one, day two, day three in the draft. Like, who, who are some of your, who are some of your guys this year? Yeah, this draft class is really fascinating. I think because you know. It's not like the wide receiver group is definitely not as hyped up as like running backs. And obviously there's a lot of quarterbacks that have gotten a lot of attention, you know, rightfully so. So this this wide receiver class is kind of degraded because it doesn't have that like classic number one receiver, which, you know, this is kind of a larger point about the position. I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but I really think we're seeing kind of like a changing in the guard in terms of wide receivers like teams 
I don't think are uh, fun, like looking to funnel the offense through one number one receiver anymore, which makes a lot of sense because those guys are tough to find. Uh, you know, Charles, Kyle Shanahan even talked about it with uh, there's a quote I, I put out on Twitter oh, yeah. that he said, yeah, that, that he talked about, like, you know, when you have that number one receiver, it's great Like you should keep it and you should have it. Uh, I mean, you should use it like it's a great thing to have, but you don't necessarily need that. What you need is like a guy, a lot of guys to function in these highly specific roles. And if you just look at some of the offenses around the league right now, some of the best offenses, you know, New England, uh, Philadelphia, uh, the Rams, I would argue that none of those teams really have like a true number one receiver, but they have a lot of guys that could, that function in those like highly specific roles and can stress the defense from a matchup perspective there. So I don't know when I think about the class, I think about that. I don't know if you guys agree with, with that thought at all, but that's kind of the way I'm viewing the league right now and how I'm viewing this draft class as a whole. Yeah. That, I, I mean, that's how so, I look but, at the re- the receivers that I've seen so far. It's instead of having like a, a guy like Amari or Sammy or Adele, where, you know, excuse me, they're going to be like wide receiver ones as soon as they walk into the league. It's more like a bunch of guys where you just kind of pick your flavor on, on who you want. And I would even argue that like Sammy Watkins and Amari Cooper definitely haven't really lived up to the building yeah. of like they're good players, no no doubt, but like they're not. I wouldn't say they're not like true cover. Like if you think about it in the NFL right now, I would say like I tried to make a list of like who are the actual quote unquote number one receivers because I don't think that you know there's obviously not 32 of them. I got to like eight before I thought I was kind of starting to push it. You know, with guys like Allen Robinson are like fringe guys. Josh Gordon obviously when he's right. Um, but it, it's a like Devonte Adams, I think is, is up making a case to be that guy, but I don't know. He's kind of, so it's, it's like, once you get past eight, eight players, it's kind of tough to be like, who are the actual number one receivers, which then makes it kind of str- strange to be chasing that or like right. criticizing an entire draft class because there's not that guy when there's really only like maybe eight to 10 of them in the NFL right now. And like roles matter so much. Like you can find roles for guys specifically as long as you have one guy who's like that deep threat, right? I think we've seen that in the NFL too, where if you don't have that one guy who's a deep threat, who's one of your top three wide receivers, it's really hard to do anything. But once you have that, it kind of gives you, you know, room to breathe in terms of like your wide receiver unit. Does that make any sense? No, that makes total yeah. sense. And I think, I think Brandon cooks is the best example of that. Debbie. Right. Well, I think it's Sammy too. In, yeah, in LA, like he's running a bunch of vertical routes, and then like Robert Woods is getting open underneath, and Cooper Cups, you know, getting some production. But the reason that those guys are able to do that is because Sammy Watkins can stretch guys, stress guys deep. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And just like on the Cooks example too, I would say the three team now the three teams that have acquired him, uh, you know, obviously the Saints in the draft, the Patriots and Rams via trade. Uh, they they're like the three teams that have those like hyper specific roles you know they 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 have are they're so great about using players just letting them operate within their strengths rather than trying to pigeonhole them into into something they're not and i don't think that's any coincidence that th- those teams have valued him um and then obviously the the saints and patriots have decided that he's not probably going to be worth the, that big money that receivers are getting these days um but yeah so so kind of leading into this draft class like i think there's a lot of really good like potential number two number three guys some guys that can operate as flankers on the outside and then move into the slot in 11 personnel which everybody's playing almost you know as their main grouping nowadays uh and so like early early guys i like i really still like calvin ridley i know that he gets a lot of hate because of his age and his uh combine results but i think he's like the ultimate 
solid number two receiver. I don't know. I know, Charles, you said, like, don't pick a receiver in the first round for the Falcons. I saw you tweet that. But I think that would be, like, the ideal landing spot for him. Uh, but the thing with that is he'd be the I – don't, I don't want to spend the first round pick on a number three receiver because Sanu is still yeah. there. And you, you still got to – and, like, once you're the number three receiver in Atlanta – you're talking about you're battling for targets with Austin Hooper and Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman. So I'd just rather use that pick on someone who's going to have a bigger impact on the team, you know? Yeah, I totally – I get that from, like, a team-building perspective. I don't know that it makes a ton of sense for the Falcons to make that pick. Although I would say that if you're if you're taking him this year, you're ideally hoping that he's, like, the long-term number two and Sanu is gone within, you know, next, like, next year or the season after, whatever. But at the same time, like, yeah, I don't know if it makes a ton of sense from a team-building perspective, but, like – in the way he should be used, I think that he would make a lot of sense there because I don't think he's a number one receiver. I think he's he's solid against press coverage, but not an elite performer in reception perception. You rarely saw him get a lot of contested catch reps, but when you did, it wasn't that great. He's obviously like a slender player, but he's the type of guy that I think that obviously can create separation all across the field. Uh, I, I liken him kind of to like a Greg Jennings sort of player, um, you know, and he was he's obviously been super productive throughout his career when he played with really good quarterbacks. And I think that Ridley could be the same. Uh, DJ Moore is fascinating because, like, I think he is the per- – he's, like, kind of the perfect view right now of the way I think the wide receiver position is going, which is all about creating, like, these layup throws for quarterbacks because if you look at, some again, some of the best offenses in the NFL – they're really designing these open windows for quarterbacks, making their life easier rather than like rifling the ball into tight coverage or near the sideline or whatever. Most passes are going into the shallow middle of the field. And I think that he can create separation on those curls, corners or curls, uh, uh, digs and slants to create those sort of layup throws for a quarterback. I think of a team like Dallas, who I think is going to be in the mix for him. Uh, same with Carolina. Both of those teams, I think, could do a lot more to take some of the burden off their quarterbacks. We've been having this conversation with Cam Newton for like eight years now, it feels like. Uh, so I think that the, both those teams make a lot of sense for him just because he's someone in round one I think you could take. And he's not going to fit the bill of like a traditional number one receiver. But I also don't think that really, as I said earlier, that that's all that important. So when you talk, you were talking about with the Calvin Ridley situation, right? And you were talking about, you know, ideally you draft him this year so that he can be a number two down the line. Um, I, I think you would agree with this in general that we have uh, our expectations are too high for rookie wide receivers. And I think a lot of that comes back down to the 2014 class, right? With like OBJ and uh, uh, Mike Evans and Brandon Cooks, who all three of those guys were just kind of dominating early on, you know, in their careers. Um but do you really see like do you really think of these guys as like like when you when you're grading out these guys or like however you're like ranking them in your mind are you how, how much weight are you like putting on like rookie year immediate like impact is it not very much cuz like you said you you're talking about Calvin Ridley potentially being you know number 2 wide receiver down the line yeah i think that setting expectations is super important and if you just this to make the point about Rookie wide receivers haven't been as productive. I think you can kind of make the argument from both sides, and I've, I've seen people do this. Like uh, I know Connor Orr put a piece out on Sports Illustrated talking to uh, Ricky Prohl, the former Panthers wide receiver coach, about why receivers have been transitioning slower to the league. And, you know, Prohl gave a lot of good reasons that I agree with watching college receivers. Like these guys that only line up on one side of the field – and are just running three routes from one side, like that's an awful hard task to then transition to switching between the left and right side of the field and, and having to kind of retrain your body to, to break on the left when you were always breaking on the right. 
and it's a it's a difficult task. And I, I think if you just look at some of the biggest busts over the last few years, or you know, at least guys who have started slow, you know, Laquan Treadwell, Kevin White, Doriel Green Beckham, some of these guys are like classic Corey Coleman are all guys who have just lined up on one side of the field in college. And that's great because college coaches, like I I think this gets overstated. Like their job is not to develop these players to be good NFL players. Their job is to, you know, make money for their teams that the players never see uh, and, 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 and win and win games uh, at the college level. So it works in college, but it's horrible for these receivers transitioning to the league. But then at the same time, you also can you also can point to some bad luck. You know, guys like Kevin White, Josh Doxton, even Corey Coleman. A lot of these big-name players have struggled with injuries. I mean, last year, all three of the guys that went in the top ten, Ross, Williams, Corey Davis, all of those players had injury issues in their first year. Two of them you could probably argue you should have seen coming, but with Corey Davis, like I think he would have been productive in his rookie year if he didn't start off with the hamstring injury in training camp. And, and the last point on that, too, if you look at some of the guys that have translated right away, they're the guys that are the good craftsmen, you know, the good route runners. Mm-hmm. I think back to that 2016 class. And I've been making this point a lot this offseason. You know, the the highly athletic, uh, splashy guys, you know, like Corey Coleman and Josh Doxson. And Latre- Laquan Treadwell is not a, a big-time athlete, but he is kind of that outside number one receiver. And he was a guy that only lined up on one side of the field, too. Like, th- those guys – have not translated but the guys that did translate were michael thomas sterling shepherd guys that really ran really good routes were good technicians and then the following this past year the two guys juju and cooper cup who translated right away were kind of used in those hyper specific roles as, as big slot receivers so i know that's kind of a long answer but that i think there's a lot to say about why receivers haven't translated early to early production right away what i think is interesting about i guess how the the game has evolved is you know, almost like how you see all these quarterback prospects are, are pretty athletic. Like, almost all these receivers, whatever skill they have, they also need to be able to run uh, as well. So, like, I think it's interesting to me when you look at guys, or not guys, but uh, someone like Des Bryant, who just got cut last week by the Cowboys. Or maybe it was earlier this week. Everything's kind of mushing together. But uh, Time is, time is, 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 I have no concept of it anymore. Yeah. Uh, but I was just wondering, like, do you what do you think about Dez's skill set and how it even fits in, like, what teams are looking for for the wide receiver position now? Because when you watch him play this past season, like, I know he was dinged up, uh, but he's just not a guy that gets really any separation. He's not a guy that's going to be a threat for big yards after the catch. So I, I'm not really even sure what his archetype kind of brings to the league anymore. It, it almost feels like he's become obsolete through his injuries over the year. What do you think? I, I completely agree with almost everything you just said. Like I, so I charted out Dez's re- season last year for reception perception. I tweeted out, if you just use the hashtag on Twitter, reception perception, you can find it. Uh, he scored below the 10th percentile in terms of success rate on man and press coverage last year, which is a dra- I know people will say like Dez has never been a great separator, but that's a drastic drop off from even his last, even 2016 season. And then going back to 2014, when he tested out really at like elite levels, uh, you know, he's not again. He's not the greatest route runner or anything, but he was such a physical presence and such a big time athlete that he would create a lot of separation on the routes that he would run. Uh, so yeah, he's completely fallen off, and I really struggle to see where he fits because I do not think you can run him out there as a full time outside X receiver anymore. He's just not that guy. Uh, and then the question is, can he? 
kind of do what Larry Fitzgerald has done to extend his production late into his career, which is move to about a 50% slot receiver uh, and be more of a flanker that operates over the middle of the field. That is a, a big time role change. It's almost like an entirely different position than what Dez has played in his entire in his entire life. So, you know, going across the league, looking at like who needs sort of that big slot receiver presence uh, and also could use some wide receiver help. There, there's not a ton of options that immediately jump out to me. So it's tough to find a fit for Dez in today's passing game. And it's, it just feels like a lot needs to go right for Dez to, to, to work out. And I think there's probably only a handful of teams like Houston jumps out to me as a team that could, that could really use him uh, be, just because I love Bruce Ellington, but I think Dez would be an upgrade on him in the slot. And then they have two pretty good outside receivers and a quarterback that's really good throwing into tight coverage into Sean Watson. So, but other than that, though, it's tough to find a spot for him. I I kind of like Green Bay as a landing spot for Dez, just where he can be kind of like a. a James how are they gonna, dude? Okay, I don't know. So but we just like, talked I about. I was thinking like a, James, <laughs> like a James Jones plus, you know, buddy. But yeah, like uh, yeah. Aaron Rodgers can throw touchdowns to a garbage can, right? James right. Jones in a hoodie. But, like, how hey, is that my, team going to get open That's my colleague James Jones to you, man. I love him, sir. <laughs> I love him. I just – I appreciate – look, so, I am very team hoodie if you have never seen me. You've seen me in real life. I've hung yes, out with yes. you. I've been yes. team hoodie. Um, but, like, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, like, post-injury Randall Cobb, and then post-injury Des Bryant with a – how old is Jimmy Graham? 32 years old? How are they threatening deep? Like, that's the one thing. Because I think that's the big difference between, like, Houston and Green Bay, in my mind, is, like, Will Fuller can run his ass off. Like, you, you can't really sleep on that speed at all. And they already have the possession guy in Nuke, right? So I, I think that's a pretty big difference in Green Bay, where, in my mind, at least, I'm thinking they need the speed roll guy in this draft, not what, necessarily. Who's that guy that they drafted a couple years ago, Trevor something? The guy who just uh, got arrested for uh, Trevor Davis. Yeah, he got busted the, for Bud. The funny, oh, the funny okay. Guy. Did not. No, he got yeah. a, didn't he, he got arrested for uh, making a bomb. Oh, it was the fake the bomb threat. Yes, he made a bomb joke in the airport and got his ass arrested. Yeah. Um. Basically, he's been a punt returner who can't field punts. Ah. Is basically the story there. Because so remember the thing about him cut. when he was coming, when he was coming out of California, they thought he was like that third best receiver on that California team until he got to the combine and ran like a four four. So yeah. he's like worse. Jeff Janis, basically. <laughs> <laughs> on the on the Packers, and in, well, before I get back to the Packers, like another spot I thought would be interesting for uh, for Dez is Seattle, because uh, if you look at their receiver depth chart, they have Doug Baldwin, uh, Tyler Lockett, and then like nobody else. I mean, they have J. Ron Brown from uh, that used to play for the Cardinals, so that's a pretty low spot. They have some, I mean, Russell Wilson has always been a good vertical passer Two guys like Doug Baldwin and last year, Paul Richardson and years prior, Tyler Lockett. They lost a red zone presence. Russell Wilson's always been a good tight window passer per next gen stat. So I think he would be, there would be a decent fit, but, but on green Bay, uh, I agree with you, justice. Like I think they need to, I I really wanted them to just kind of overhaul the receiver group this off season and, and, I would have been fine if they'd gotten rid of both Cobb and Jordy. I was glad they at least got rid of one. Same until I saw what other receivers were getting. And I was like, yeah. you know what? Maybe keep Cobb around a little while longer. Like, Jordy had to go, period. Yeah, I, I agree. Jordy, yeah, I, I agree. Jordy had had to go for the for, and for the price, absolutely. And, and it, they just need to get younger, faster, and more explosive. I think, like, when you look at this draft class for them, they can probably – bypass some of these good slot receiver technician guys and go for more of like a high 
you know, quote unquote upside receiver like a Cortland Sutton or an Equinemius St. Brown, one of these guys that I think could help them make big plays right away. But also then you would hope develop into that long term outside receiver. So they're 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 a team like Sutton's a great example of a guy that a lot a lot of people really like. Um, and I, I like him, too. I, I think you can see the positives there, obviously. But I wouldn't be surprised if he gets off to like a slow start. And because of that, because he's just not a good technician, he's a lot like these guys who have kind of busted out the last few years. But if he goes to a spot like Green Bay, I think that would be really, really perfect for him. Whereas he, if he goes to like a, you know, Jacksonville or something at the end of the first round, I would I would hate that. So they're definitely a team that I think could go for one of these more explosive wideouts. Uh, so I feel like every year there's a receiver that draft Twitter kind of falls in love with. That just looks technically sound and, you know, I don't know, just looks the part of a good receiver. Maybe not overly big or overly athletic, but they just kind of fall in love with the way they play the game, but they don't really do shit in the NFL. Who's that guy this year? Because I feel like Anthony Miller is someone who's been getting a lot of hype, but I could just totally see there being an avenue where he does absolutely nothing in the NFL. So who do you think that guy is this year that looks like a draft Twitter all-star, but then ends up doing absolutely nothing. Uh, prob- I would say I like Anthony Miller, so I don't think it will be him because I-, I really think he's kind of like a Doug Baldwin type of player, a guy that you can play in the slot, but also wins on vertical passes and uncontested throws. So I wouldn't say, I mean, again, it wouldn't be surprising if that's if it, it happens with him, but he would not be my vote. I would say probably Dante Pettis. Uh, I know there are some people that, that I really respect that really like Dante Pettis, but I didn't see him separate really well in, in any in any form of coverage. He scored below the 40th percentile in success rate on man, zone, press coverage. Um, he can run a pretty good out route, but other than that, I thought he got bullied in tight coverage. And, and I, maybe he flashes some good technique. That's, that's the thing that I think draft Twitter kind of can run with is like a player that you see runs a few good routes here and there. Uh, but overall, like I think success in the NFL in terms of being a good route runner and, and a lot of the receivers that I've talked to uh, agree with this is like being consistent, you know, being able to run the same route the same way over and over and over again and be in the spot where your quarterback expects, be able to deceive the defender while doing it, not like flash a good release every once in a while. And that's why. I chart all the routes that I do because I think that keeps me honest in terms of what I'm seeing and not like, damn, I saw Dante Pettis shake this defender this one time. Like, oh, he must be a really good route runner. And I'm not saying that's what people do, but but I think that you can just naturally, your brain will influence you that way is to weigh those really high moments. Um, where I, So Pettis is a guy that I think people get will get really excited about that I wouldn't be surprised if he does nothing in the NFL. So how did Pettis chart in your, you know, in your rankings? Like, how did, how did he perform? Not not good. Yeah, like I said, he, he was below like the 40th percentile in success rate versus man, versus press, versus zone. Um, you know, he's like a so- – I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like a solid role player in the NFL, but I don't. I think that's like his ceiling. I don't see what what makes him like a, a potential starter because I thought his, I thought his route running was poor and I, I thought uh, from a consistency standpoint it just wasn't there for me. All right, I want to ask you a question. This is a, this is a very deep question. So Charles and I, okay. we started a Debbie League like two years ago. Okay, oh, so we're man. drafting. It's like 14 teams. Okay, we're drafting like four guys out of college each. So like right now, there's like 100-something college players that like between the 14 of us that we like own, right? So the rookie draft's about to come up, 
and like the only like major players left in this league are two guys you already talked about, DJ Moore and Anthony Miller, right? The wide receivers out of Maryland and Memphis. And then Deshaun Hamilton from Penn State and Michael Gallup from Colorado State. Charles is picking second overall in our league because he's awful at it, okay? You got to pitch him <laughs> one of these four guys. Which which guys are you? Like, rank them one, two, three, four. Moore, Miller, Hamilton, Gallup. How do you go? Uh, well, I think I would go Moore number one because he's the most likely to be picked in the first round. He's 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 going to go ahead of all those other guys. So that Because right, if he ends up in like Dallas or something, he's just going to be... Like overwhelmingly yeah. valuable, right? Yeah, and I don't. I think if he gets to twenty four, I think the Panthers will take him there. Uh, so either way, he'll go to he'll go to a team with a pretty good quarterback. And again, I think he's that type of receiver, like Golden Tate, can really create a lot of those layup throws for quarterbacks, like, which I talked about earlier. So he, he'd be a good one to just accrue production. Um, Gallup, I think, is fourth, but I I like Michael Gallup. I just think he's going to be a team that, or he's a guy that like could is going to be really landing spot depending because he's not a great separator like the rest of these guys, but he's dominant at the catch point. I think he's the best contested catch receiver in this draft class in terms of just how often you saw him do it and how great he was. He converted eighty percent of his contested catch attempts, and he had. I know, yeah, he's unbelievable. Like, if you watch him versus Nevada, I've never, which I know it's Nevada, who cares? But, uh, uh, you know, he, he, I've never seen a, a college receiver just dominate a, a, a opponent like that. So he's, I think he's got a lot of potential, but I think he's the one that's probably most, uh, most landing spot dependent. Uh, no, the other two guys, Anthony Miller and Deshaun Hamilton, kind of a toss up to me. Um, I think Miller goes ahead of Hamilton. So for fantasy, I would probably take him. But I love Deshaun Hamilton, man. Like, uh, he's somebody that comes, you know, I was a big fan of Chris Godwin last year out of Penn state. And I've actually had a chance to talk to their now former wide receiver coach, uh, Josh Gaddis, who's got promoted. He's at Alabama now, but you know, he's a really good teacher of technique and route running. And he's even said like the way you evaluate receivers with reception, perception, chart them out. Like it, it, it kind of shows exactly what I'm trying to teach these guys, which is I talked about earlier, like consistency with route running and being that same player over and over again like Hamilton and Godwin couldn't be any different uh but they're but they both win with their routes despite the fact one's a perimeter receiver one's an inside receiver in Hamilton uh he's a guy I really really like and and he could be that sleeper that goes in like the fourth round of the NFL draft third fourth round and you know catches like 60 70 balls a year because he's just so good technically uh and is it, it you know is mostly a short route runner but if people people knock him for drops but i didn't see that at all he was pretty good on contested passes and and only had like two drops in the games i sampled so i don't really see it as a big knock i i saw that the uh the falcons are pretty interested in, in hamilton and I, just from what i've seen that just seems like the perfect fit across from yeah. julio uh it, it, it would just be a really fun offense uh if the Falcons are interesting because they're kind of, I think they're in a situation where they're going to try to extend Tevin Coleman as well, and they're going to have a, a decent amount of cap space next year. But you know, paying a lot of the, paying all that money to two running backs means you're probably going to have to sacrifice something at receiver, which is going to be Sanu. So I guess I wouldn't be surprised to see them like take maybe two receivers this year. I don't know. Yeah, they're kind of. I mean, outside of outside of those top few guys, there's not a lot like to get excited about on the depth chart. You know, even like some deep sleeper sort of player that could potentially contribute so yeah it makes sense yeah uh so you guys want to jump into the uh mailbag question i want to let me ask him one question 
real quick because i i guess so, so one one this kind of comes from one of the mailbag questions actually because you just talked about this you you said uh you know easy layup throws right mm-hmm. and we had a question about how you define layup throws so i was just kind of wondering what you mean by that so it's it's kind of it's kind of complicated but if you look the best example i can i can give is like jared goff this year with uh with the Rams. Uh, I, I don't know what you guys think about Jared Goff, like about him as a quarterback, but I think he's, I think he's okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of these offenses, like, uh, you know, the, the, the Rams and even, even honestly dating back to Washington, which is obviously where McVay came from. A lot of these like quarterbacks have these higher probability throws because they're again, more in the middle of the field, these short throws where they're not like rifling the ball into the, into tight coverage around the sideline. I want to get deeper into this because we actually, I, I'll tease it a little bit. We've got something coming out with next-gen stats in the next couple of months that really actually I think is going to be a groundbreaking thing to kind of really just like really quantify what I'm talking about with these layup throws. But it's about, again, just higher probability throws, you know, not – not throwing into the tighter windows down the sidelines, more just again those curl routes, slant routes, the the higher higher percentage throws to to that regard. And if you look at it, that's what mo- again most of NFL production right now is coming on those throws. Play action is also a big part of it. Uh, I, I don't know why teams don't run more play action because it just really helps boost the efficiency of the offense, and I think it just gives the defense something else to think about, which you know always seems like an advantage to me. Yeah, I, I think golf is okay. I think the what was really interesting about the Rams' offense is that they were a super explosive offense. I, I think they, they they led the league like by far in terms of points per play. But mm-hmm. their quarterback, like the, or the the way that it was designed, the quarterback was almost like a secondary piece to like Gurley and Robert Woods and Watkins. I and, mean, even the offensive line, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I, I went, I went and was I was charting Arizona Cardinals games for some reason. So I thought I was gonna do, I was gonna do some number stuff, but then something happened. So I didn't. Yeah, no, I don't need to talk about it. But basically, I was watching their pass rush, and their pass rush was, you know, pretty dominant against uh, basically everyone that they faced, except for the Los Angeles Rams. And like in those two games, uh, it was like those two games, and then the Eagles game. Like the Cardinals just couldn't get a hand on the quarterback at all. Well, I think I think the running back is a good thing to bring up too, because uh, like their value as a receiver. I think is crucial to creating those layup throws for quarterbacks. Like if you would watch the Rams last year, you would see a lot of times like they would use Gurley on screens and everything like that. And obviously on, you know, dump off checkdowns. but there were a lot of throws that McVay kind of designed to be like a part of the offense, you know, not like a, a safety valve or whatever, but let's get Gurley, you know, these eight to seven yard completions out of the backfield uh, that 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 were really helpful to keep drives alive for the Rams. So that that's a part of it too. With wide receivers specifically, it's more about like those slants and routes that don't necessarily go down the field and and put receivers in situations where they're going to have 50-50 balls. Because that's one thing that you see a lot with receivers. Like if they have a lot of contested catches, people will say, "Oh, that means that they can't separate." I don't think that's always necessarily true because the quarterback or the design of the offense can throw them into a contested situation, even if they run a good solid route. So I would say to just kind of put a bow on it, it's passes to the running back, shorter routes for the receiver that go into the middle of the field where you're just generally going to see less traffic. All right. Uh, so just can we move on to the next question? Yeah. I'll, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I'm serious, I'm serious. We are going to have, we're going to have something coming out with next gen stats that I can't, I 
can't totally reveal it yet, uh, but it's it's going to be something that kind of helps put this it more into a quantifiable uh, form than what I just blabbered on about. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, next question from Adam LaSomething at Savage Cassius. In honor of Cuddy and Ye, who are coming out with a new album this summer, uh, who will be the best quarterback wide receiver duo in football next season? Uh, I mean, the easy answer is probably Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown, just because yeah. Antonio Brown is the GOAT. Uh, but I'm excited about Deshaun Watson and, and DeAndre Hopkins. I know they just talked about uh, they just talked about you know being the best duo in the NFL, but I think that they could be up there, man. I think Watson is legit. I, I think some some of his statistics will probably regress a little bit just because they were outrageously efficient over that short sample that we saw him. But stylistically, those two guys fit so well together, and, and I just I, I'm really excited. about it. Never forget that DeAndre Hopkins wanted Tom Savage to start. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm so excited for Watson just because it, it started off kind of slow, but you just every single week you just saw him get it a little bit more and more and more, and he was just he was just on fire. And obviously, I I think his his touchdown percentage was like I think it was it was like ten percent. It was almost yeah, it was almost ten percent. And obviously, you know that's not that's impossible to keep up, but. He's just so talented and so explosive, and it, like he's kind of like Wentz, where maybe he'll miss some of the layups, but he's definitely going to create those explosive plays in the passing game that kind of keep you on schedule. So they got a good one, and I'm I'm hyped to see him. Uh, this next question is for Justice uh, uh, from Jack at Jack P Lamb. Compare Kanye albums to skill players, and let's keep it to NFL draft prospects. Oh man, who's uh? Uh, I'm not really. Damn, that's a that's a good question. Do you guys have suggestions on this one? I'm trying to figure out who graduation is. Who, which is the receiver that I don't like? Uh, Calvin Ridley. Yeah, I would say <laughs> you definitely don't. Graduation like Calvin. is Calvin Ridley. He he's everyone's like drunk eighth grader. It's like jam. That's graduation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that Lamar Jackson can be 808s because for its time, it can be seen as ambitious. And it was just influential. Influential. Well, I guess I'd have to be Baker Mayfield then, right? 808? No, it's got to be like, it's got to be, because the thing about 808s is like 808s like now survives as like winter driving music, right? So it's got to be something, something different from that. that uh, we'll make it uh, Quentin Nelson. It'll be Quentin Nelson. Why? I feel like Quentin Nelson, he's got like, he's got, you know, he's got winter weight on him, right? A lot of people don't necessarily like him going as early as he did. People didn't like 808s when it came out, but in the long run, it's going to play out well. Oh, you want to know a funny little uh, Quentin Nelson tidbit that I uh, heard before, or not, or not not before the combine, but at, like right after the combine, he didn't run at the combine because he had been running like a five five and five six in training, so he just skipped the forty and just did everything else because he didn't want to be seen as too slow and you know mess up his money. So. That's oh a fun little Quinn Nessa story. Very, very smart good. guy. Yeah, yeah, agree. Very smart guy. Uh, let's just bail on this Kanye question because we're just gonna be sitting here saying um for. I was gonna say I was like, there's like ten albums. I don't know if I could do this off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, I'm, and I'm not the person to ask for. Here, for this sure. is what we'll do, Matt. Matt Harmon. Uh, what's the worst Kanye album? I don't know, man. If you say I'm, Jesus, I'm gonna hit you. 
I'm not. I'm not gonna say it, but it's I, I don't. I, honest, I honestly don't. It's graduation. Know. It's graduation. All right, moving on. All right. I thought your graduation take was good to to start off with, so I'll say that. That yeah, I'll say that it's like every drunk eighth grader's favorite. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, flashing hey, that, lights, drunking girls. It's, so it's layup for eighth graders. Maybe that's why I like <laughs> this so much, I was the drunk eighth grader. This, oh, the hat. drinking stalled you out, bro. I'm sorry. I didn't we'll say that. Uh, wow, we actually got a lot of questions asking about draft prospects and Kanye albums. Uh, so let's do one from our pal. Uh, Bets at all twenty two. How awful was it being the Brussels sprouts guy for like a year? Uh, well, I st- I stand by everything I said. Uh, Brussels sprouts are great, but I will say become being the Brussels sprouts guy did become miserable. I mean, every and that's the thing. Like every good bit is only meant to be a bit for so long. Like, but after the fourth month of just you know incessantly getting pictures of Brussels sprouts, it's like all right, we we have to stop. <laughs> this can't be a thing forever. Uh, so, but now it's nice. You know, I launched. I put the official retirement video out, which is probably the dumbest thing I've ever done. Uh, <laughs> but it is fun. Like, it, it, it's good, man. I, I enjoyed. I like sprouts are awesome. You can do a lot with them. Uh, and I, so I stand by everything I said. But yeah, being the sprouts guy, eventually, like, you got to move on. You got. You, 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 you can't do the same bit forever. You say the Brussels sprouts video is stupid. Like, we don't talk about football for money. You know, like, come on. It's it's it's, no, it's it's okay. I annually say like with I no it's probably like bi-monthly I'm like that's the dumbest thing I've ever done. Like that that is dumb. like there's plenty of things in my you know little quote unquote career which I'm very very blessed and thankful to have uh that I'm like damn that's the dumbest thing I've ever done. I can't believe I get paid to do something this stupid. Charles, do you have uh Brussels sprouts takes? I'm team Brussels sprouts and team asparagus. Uh, I'm team asparagus. I'm not team Brussels sprouts. Asparagus is good, but why does it have to make your pee smell? You know. I know it's it's unbearable. Well, it's not unbearable because you're only. How long does it take you to pee where it's unbearable? <laughs> Dude, I pee a lot. I drink a lot of water. I'm very well hydrated. I drink a lot of water, a lot of coffee, and a lot of booze. Like I'm very well. <laughs> I'm very well hydrated. I'm Things a machine, man. That's it's really well, all. All you need is water, coffee, protein shakes, and alcohol. That's the. I say that all the time. I tell I tell my girlfriend that. I tell like all my friends that they're like, "Well, why do you do you drink like flavored water?" I'm like, "No, I'm just damn flavored water. Like, get that shit out of my face. Like, I'm all about yeah, coffee, booze, uh, and and, and water. That's it. No, you don't need anything else. And you don't need to put anything in your coffee. Just train yourself to drink it black and and accept the misery that that is life. Amen. I, I don't drink it for the taste. I drink it so I can get up and do things. But you ought, but eventually you will become. You you like the taste? It, it's just it's objectively true. Uh, I can prove it, and uh, there you go. That's science. But no, they, no, you're you're completely right about that. And just on bre- on vegetables too, uh, definitely like cauliflower is like the new trendy vegetable for sure. Uh, it was Brussels sprouts for years, but now it's it's cauliflower. So if you're into if you want to like make your name out there as the next vegetable guy, I guess that's what you got. Wasn't do. it kale for a little bit, or did kale come before Brussels sprouts? Kale, yeah, kale kind of came around the same time as Brussels sprouts, but it hasn't gotten like the mainstream appeal. Like every restaurant that you go to out here in Los Angeles, like appetizers, they've got like a Brussels sprouts appetizer or like a now 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 you'll see everywhere it's got like a cauliflower appetizer. But people don't seem to want to get on the on the kale on the kale thing, it, it, like in, in terms of mainstream population. I love kale though; kale's great. Dark times, man. 
See people eating Brussels sprouts on purpose. Good God. Um, <laughs> hey man, you gotta look good for you gotta look good. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, the next question from Nate at Nate's QB is okay. Takes on salad. What kind of question is that's not even a question. <laughs> we're we're a jukebox now. We're a jukebox now. Play salad. Play salad takes. All right, but I got, uh, yeah, a salad that, takes. Okay, no, I got I got salad takes though. So this is this is this is what our career is, guys. Like you got to just push a button and, and dispense takes on it. Uh, yeah, so salad's good. Salad's good. I, I I like spinach. You know, if we're gonna start with like a leaf base, and I always like some tomatoes and carrots in there too. Uh, you know, the the dressing debate is interesting to me because obviously the dressing isn't good for you, but yeah. at the same time, the salad, you know. It does need a little bit of flavor enhancement at the cost of making it a little bit more healthy. So if you're going to look at, if you're going to weigh the pros and cons of putting dressing on a salad, I usually think the pros of the taste outweigh the cons of whatever health detriment it brings to you at the same time. What's your salad dressing take? And is it as, you know, as fair as that one? Uh, it's not fair because it's very strong and it's that salad dressing is the worst. Uh, I would disagree with you that, hmm. the, bene- that the benefits. <laughs> yeah, I just, debate. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bust out that black and mild like Shannon Sharp too. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> that's still it's like sidebar. That's the, the funniest moments on in television history. And I, I'll occasionally just rewatch it again because yeah. it's so. Also, Stephen uh, A versus LeVar Ball was amazing. <laughs> Like uh, people get so upset at those shows, but I I think it's funny. Whatever. They're the most talented people in sports media by far. Like it's not really even close. Yes, uh, agree. Uh, other than myself, of course, uh, and Patrick Clay. Of course. Uh, but other than that, uh, so I would say, say yeah, I don't like salad dressing at all, and I don't think the the health ben- or the un- the taste benefits outweigh like if you're just gonna. Because most salad dressing, like if you're talking about Caesar salad or like ranch dressing, I mean, ranch dressing, give me a break. Like that's not that shouldn't even count. But a yeah. lot of that stuff, like even Italian, anything like that, like you may, might as well have just eaten the sandwich at that point. Like calorically, it doesn't make as much sense. I like vinaigrette. Um, that's that's what I always put on mine. The light vinaigrette. Yeah, vinaigrette's all right. I tend to just like I'll just use a little bit of olive oil and put like you know if you put like onions on there, you end up getting enough flavor. Uh, to 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 outweigh the fact that you're eating a salad, and I don't know. I'm I do realize that I'm probably a bit of an outlier because I've gone through such an extreme change in my diet that like I've just trained myself to like all this stuff. Uh, but uh, to me, if you just put like olive oil on it, like that's good enough, and, and it definitely is not the same as like loading it up with the uh, with with a bunch of stuff in there. Like I yeah, I'll like olive oil and avocado. That's all you if you ask me. This is a vinaigrette household. I want to see you guys' takes on, like, I'm pretty adamant on, like, no white sauces, period. Like yeah. like you said, like, ranch dressing and stuff like that. Like, anything that's, like, a white sauce, honestly, I, I can't think of one white sauce that I, I need like. my blue cheese. So I just pretty I much need my blue cheese. Stick. I'm sorry. That's, that's disgusting. Yeah, I'm, I don't like blue cheese. I don't like Ninja ranch. Cochino. Ranch is disgusting, man. Like, that's literally the worst to me. Um, I think it just ruins everything. Uh, like, and then it's not to say, you know, I say all this, it's like not to say if I'm like five beers in and like you put some wings with some ranch, like I might, I might indulge myself. Give me a break. I might. But, oh, I might. <laughs> you know, I've had like 10 beers or something. <laughs> so, uh, you know, don't hold me to this as like a biblical fact or anything, but no, I, I, I would, I would say that in general, like, yeah, I'm with you justice. Any sort of like white sauce is disgusting. Like 
even like Alfredo, like pasta sauce is kind of too much to me. I mean, I don't. It's, I eat, it's heavy. It's heavy. Yeah, it's it's too heavy. Uh, I prefer like a thin, like red, like red wine based pasta sauce with like whole grain pasta. Like sue me. That's what I'm into. Wow. We, so thanks. Actually, Nate, then thanks for the question because we were able to <laughs> give some takes on salad. Uh, Next question from Ryan Jackson at this Ryan Jackson. Is there any correlation between certain success rates on routes through reception perception plus winning in a player's rookie year? Also, is Kid Cudi's humming a positive or negative thing to add to other artists' song? Uh, it's always a positive thing, so uh, don't worry about answering the rest of that question. But the first one, correlation. Uh, like, have you Has your research shown that your college uh, charting matters when you get to the NFL? Well, one, I love Kid Cudi, and anything he does, I'm a fan of. Except some of the, I mean, he's made some terrible, terrible music at some points. But he's other than that, yeah, other than that, (laughs) well, when he was good, he was great, and uh, that's that's my stance on that. But um, yeah, no, that's that's a good question. I don't know that there's any direct correlation because you know so much of it uh, is based on how often you run that particular route. Um, and which is why I've, I've never tried to do anything like this because I've always wanted to keep all of the metrics separate, uh, to be able to pull, like to just kind of lay everything out and put it in, in context on your own. Because I think if you tried to do like, okay, correlation between, you know, success rate versus man coverage to early NFL success, like there are guys, you know, like a Corey Coleman who had high success rate versus man coverages, but also, so, you know, so did Sterling Shepard, but I think the way they accrued those success rates are very, very different. Uh, so, no, I, I would say that I haven't noticed any correlation between any any particular route. But again, that's because it's so much. It, it is based on how they did that, which there's always going to be a little subjectivity to it. And maybe if I could break it down by like a particular routes, it, it, I don't know that there's been any direct correlation. But a few that I look for are some of those routes I talked about earlier that are, you know like the curl, uh, the the slant, those are uh, comeback routes, are, are routes you see a lot in the NFL that are highly targeted, especially the curl route, I think is one of the most, if not the most highly targeted. Same with slants. Like, you know, those are two that I really look at. If you have good success rate on those, you, you probably will have some success at the NFL level early. Um, so it just, it just depends on a per player basis, which is why I've never really wanted to dive into all that. Yeah. Uh, so one word answer, or I guess two words. Who was the best route runner in the 2018 draft? Deshaun Hamilton. All right. Cool. Because uh, that Thank was a God. question. And also, thank you for just giving a one word answer. That was nice. That was, that was perfect. That was beautiful. I'm a professional. If I'm asked to do something, I'm going to do it that way. <laughs> All right. Uh, so before we let you go, anything that you want to promote or, you know, tell the people about? Sure. Uh, yeah, with Reception Perception right now, it's continuing to roll out a few more rookie profiles. You can find those all at receptionperception.com. Um, and I will be doing the uh, Fantasy Footballers Ultimate Draft Kit again this year where I'll have uh, dat- league-wide route running metrics on 50 NFL receivers. Uh, and I'll have charted out all of their data and written blurbs on all of them just in terms of how good of a player are they? Where do they win? All that sort of stuff. And you can, again, if you go to receptionperception.com, there's a link to buy the ultimate draft kit. You can pre-order it right now at the lowest price, and it'll come out June 1st. Um, other than that, uh, you know, just I'll be coming out with some more next-gen stats stuff here in the next couple months, and I think we're really going to take another step forward with uh, with that content as we learn more and more about it. So, uh, yeah, thanks so much, guys, for uh, for having me on. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah. Uh, so we'll probably have you back before the season at some point. Uh, but yeah, so that's going to conclude episode 73 of the Semi Edge podcast, the Joe Thomas episode. Uh, deuces, you know. Bye, Joe Thomas. Maybe you should stop tweeting too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week, episode 74, the Eric Flowers episode. Uh, with oh. hopefully, oh, actually, you know what? Next week, seventy-four. We couldn't do. We couldn't have done Mike Daniels. Come on, seven. Mike what Daniels was seventy-six. He's seventy-six, man. He's seventy-six. You don't uh, even know. Well, he's on well. your favorite team. How do you not know that? Well, I watch a lot of football. I don't okay. Know. Uh, actually, you, next week let's just do like our drunken recap of the first round. That'll be the next time we record. Well, I'm gonna have to. Okay, you're ignoring the fact that I have work. I'm not gonna be drunk, but I'll be here. All right. Oh. Okay. All right. Yeah. So that's fine. We'll be back next week.